Welcome to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast dedicated to being publicly curious about creativity, commerce, and culture. Hosted by myself, Nikita Walia, a brand builder and strategist with over a decade of experience. Together, we'll explore the many dimensions of modern brand building and how cultural codes evolve to build new models for commerce. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. His name is Fancy. He was really one of the first people who got me into Web3 and really made it feel approachable and not condescending. We got together to talk about community building, DAOs, the future of Web3, and the future futures. I'm really excited for you to meet him. Hi, Fancy. It's so nice to talk to you. It has been maybe two months since we last spoke. Oh my God. Has it been that long? Yeah. Time literally flies far too fast. It really, really does. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Really good. Um, Just getting everything in motion, trying to like, you know, juggle some client things, some exciting radar things, you know, hopefully getting it into a position where... uh, where, you know, all these things are symbiotic and flowing together. Um, moved countries recently again. Um, again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moved from Bali to Thailand and then Malaysia next month. Um, so there's a there's always a little bit of skittishness around that. But, uh, but yeah, no, good. That's awesome. Well, I think, like, I know a reasonable amount about you, maybe not the most, but I would love, I think, for you to share with everyone a little bit about your background and your journey into Web3 and what you're building. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. Um, Yeah, so I'm Fancy. Um, I go pseudonymously online. Um, you may see me with a little purple orb floating around on on crypto Twitter and in some various communities. Um, and I don't think that orb will ever change. I think that orb is me now forever, um, <laughs> which is which is funny because someone reached out recently and they were like, they literally see me. If someone said to describe me, they would see me as a, a purple floating orb with an English accent, which I think is is not the worst description, um, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was actually remarking on how it really throws me off when when someone I speak to changes their profile picture and they change it a lot to like all the different NFTs they collect. And I was like, yeah. I was like, it's always a bit triggering. But no, so so my background's in um, advertising, comms, uh, brand strategy. Um, I trained actually traditionally in graphic design, but under um, Zelda Milan, who's ex Saatchi and Saatchi and, and trained with Paul Arden. And so um, from like, you know, the beginning of my kind of creative career, everything was focused around how you get to these really singularly brutal ideas that can just be landed with such purity and such stickiness. Um, and so I was always trying to like pull out these really kind of elaborate, uh, you know, extensive pieces Mm of speculative work or design around these like really simple nuggets of truth. Um, That obviously led me into, you know, commercial advertising because otherwise, how are you going to pay those bills? Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think a few years into that, I kind of found myself um, starting on very similar campaigns to things I've already done or or finding that clients weren't uh, buying the work, mostly because some of the structures I was seeing internally within agencies are not always designed for ideas to survive, you know, rigorous um, challenges. They're actually, 
in some ways uh, designed to many ideas to be killed and and you move on and mm. and then you get like a bunch and so i think uh i think that kind of led me to look at alternatives to to the agency world and and that led me into to web3 um first through the the future space uh, as a researcher and kind of looking at foresight and the futures industry uh speculative design speculative thinking design thinking um and then along that journey i discovered um social tokens and dows and I'd had a few really meaningful touches with uh, with Web3 before and, and not taken any of them. But that was the mm. one where I suddenly realized that, yeah, this is the culture for me. Like, this is where I understand that this is the behavior which I don't think will will go back in time. So um, I decided to go all in on that um, and jumped kind of Web3 headfirst uh, down, the, down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, like, is the reality of working in Web3 and like what is, you know, people's perception or all the hype or, you know, people just being like, oh, it's just a bunch of dudes with monkey JPEGs getting rich, you know, what is the actual like day-to-day reality of like moving from, you know, working in a typical like corporate ad agency structure to, you know, like building a DAO and then also doing client work. What's that like? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, I was speaking to someone about this earlier and and kind of talking about um, finding meaningful builders in in Web3 that you resonate with. And I think all of us and a lot of people probably listening to to this, you know, your your podcast are those builders and those thinkers that want to reimagine the systems that that they've been in in new ways. And I think that steers you away from the the monkey JPEGs or the crypto Twitter. I think, you know, one thing I did super early on was, um, you know, get a Twitter that was a complete clean slate, um, only follow people that I was super inspired by. Um, and that actually kept a lot of the filters out of like the, the negative noise. Um, day to day, I think, you know, one of the things I, I, I love about this, this space is that people are so willing to just like connect in DMs and fire a DM. And I think very rarely do I feel like embarrassed to, to request something or to ask a favor because I know that often that favor will come back to someone else and, and they'll be asking it of me one day. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's very different to, to agency life where, um, you know, it kind of felt like everyone was on each other's time or there are a lot of these external forces. I think there, there feels like there's a bit more playfulness um, at the moment with, with the folks that are building around me anyway. Um, and that playfulness is kind of what I'm trying to lean into and, and facilitate at Radar and look at those opportunities to, you know, always be able to reach out to anyone in the community to kind of get brought mm-hmm. up to speed. Um, so I think it's the removing of that that structure or that hierarchy um, of being able to share those ideas, you know, having those ideas considered and, sh- and like uh, shaped in a different way. I think that's mm-hmm. often a big a big difference I see is like how people like, take ideas and run with them. And I feel like the the way ideas surface quite beautifully in, in the communities that I'm in is if they are good in inverted commas, good being your definition or your community's definition, then energy yeah. will build build around them and they will happen. And I think that's a far a, a very interesting way of seeing ideas, those brutally singular ideas which I shared at the beginning are like seeing them mm-hmm. become a reality compared to be having to go through 12 people signing something off. Yeah. Um, which I think is you know is inter- interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people that like 
detract from Web3 or, you know, even are rightfully skeptical may have also like said the same things about like email, <laughs> like the turn of the millennium. So I think, you know, it's all about speaking less about like the technology, like the technology is like great and fine, but more about like the potential for making these kinds of connections and actually accomplishing things that you have not maybe been able to do in the walls of your nine to five. Mm, mm, for sure. Yeah. I think that big, that big pivot there is ownership. And I'm sure, you know, everyone has spoken about this or folks that you've spoken about have spoken about ownership. But for me, like that, that's just this, this unlock, which we just haven't seen um, before so much when you go and build, you know, when you, when you move from web two to web three, I think it's that responsibility in that, that ownership over, you know, what value you create for yourself and what value you create for each other. And that's scary and it's daunting and it kind of in some ways makes every, all of your time like super hyper financialized. But at the same time, like it, it really kind of encourages you to show up and not not kind of just sit around waiting or showing mm-hmm. up to get paid. It's, it's a different kind of mentality, I think, uh, entirely. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess like with you, how did you go from like contributing to Web3 communities to like really deciding to build one? Yeah, so um, I actually entered, so, so I, I, Radar was my first vision for, for building something in, in Web3 and I actually pitched it um, to Jess Loss, who's the instigator of, of Seed Club. Um, and Jess was like, hey, this is cool. Never heard of anything like this. Like, you know, um, I'll come and speak to you in a couple of weeks. And so we arranged that call. And in the meantime, I bumped into um, Protein, uh, which is an agency, consumer insights agency. Um, and they've always been positioned around like this idea of, of helping people ideas grow. And uh, Will, the CEO, who's you know always been trying to push for the community that surrounds Protein to have more sense of ownership, more authority over the value they create, uh, both for the agency, but you know for the co-working space, for the event space, and all that. And um, he, you know, we were chatting together, and he basically said, "Well, we're you know we're trying to build a Web three agency, and well, we're trying to build a Web three community, an extension of ourselves. Um, and what you're building sounds really cool. Like, why don't we kind of combine mm-hmm. and merge?" And so that was my actual kind of entry into the space under the protein banner, building out this community, um, you know, exploring new models of growth, reimagining what growth looks like um, and thinking, you know, about how we kind of move away from those broken systems that we see a lot of in Web2 that can become extractive and exploitive. Um, And so after doing that kind of for nine months, it really gave me that that confidence and I think the connections to mm-hmm. um, to be able to launch radar in a in a really meaningful way and actually make a very big pivot from something which started as like a an app like hey you know everyone's going to use this app and you know they're all going to be like sharing their insights and we're going to be giving them back social tokens and they're gaining equity in the platform mm-hmm. and when I came back to it it was all about community it was all about bringing these people together it was yeah it had nothing to do with an app the app doesn't matter. That's just yeah. a tool that people might play with, with a little bit of like, you know, metal and plastic in their hands that the, the real value is in the connections of, of the radar community with each other. And so I think it was a real blessing to have that transition um, with a kind of, you know, bridge there and, and love the protein community for that, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, 
you know, something that I think is brought up a lot in Web3 circles and most certainly like Web2 circles a lot lately is this idea of community, which is so abstract. And I think everyone thinks about it in a different way. But as somebody that's like operated and scaled communities, like how do you define community? How do you build it? And how do you make it sustainable? Amazing. Um, yeah, so this is actually some of the work that, that I've been doing for for clients kind of exploring what, you know, community looks like in a Web3 context, right? Because it, it's, nothing, it's nothing new. Uh, yeah. It's been a buzzword for a million years. It will be a buzzword, but buzzword for another million years. Um, and the reality of it is, is like, in fact, it's a dirty word because it's been so jargonized. It's been mm-hmm. so thrown around. And for a lot of um, Web3 and Web2 brands, uh, their community won't even know that they're supposedly the community, right? They may be an audience, they may be product users, um, but they, you know, they're just being told, hey, you're our community for marketing purposes, for user testing purposes, but really like they have no no stake in that. So for me, um, community is all about ownership and, and mutual ownership with each other. And that comes down to responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's three fundamental pillars of community. So, so one is ownership, as I just mentioned. The other one is belonging. And then the last one is adventure. And when you get those three together, you actually unlock that flywheel of community where value is created through a sense of belonging and connection, which encourages you to go on this adventure together. Mm-hmm. The adventure is a way in which you can distribute ownership to people because, you know, on that adventure, you're trying to reach a goal. And at the end of that goal, something good's going to happen. But on that way, you can, you know, give people value back for helping you reach that task or reach that task together. And in a way that creates more belonging for each other. And so you get this virtuous flywheel where people come together to do cool shit. They get rewarded for it. Um, and therefore they feel, you know, more in sync with each other. Um, and I think, you know, the current way of looking at Web3 communities is like bundle everyone into a space and mm-hmm. they come two ways, right? It's either really highly curated, probably quite exclusive, not very inclusive. You know, this is maybe the early stages of Web3 where it's a lot of people in Telegram groups, people that got in early, people that have insider knowledge, um, people that feel like they're of a, you know, in a different Web3 status. And then you've got the other end, which is just like completely unregulated, you know, um, thousands of people in a Discord uh, or Telegram or whatever. And, you know, you could also argue is that community where people don't know each other, um, you know, where there's no sense of responsibility. And I think the community is similar to, you know, how we often or how we've evolved to have community now in our in our lives, right? Like mm-hmm. you probably don't know your neighbors, don't know the people down the street, like how much of a community is actually around you um, in your physical life. And I think when you create meaningful community in a digital world, it gives people that sense that maybe they've been missing out for quite a while, especially probably pre-COVID. I think COVID gave us a bit of a reason to build community again. But apart from that, I think um, that's the the really clear sign of having a a good community is like tight-knit members, responsibility to each other. Um, And I think that within that, there's some kind of practices that you can have to make sure that that community is healthy, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I think, important. 
Yeah. And I think too, like no one wants to be a member of like 800 communities. People want to be a member of like three really like impactful communities, whether that's like the communities physically around them, whether that's like a web three community, whether that's, you know, even like a brand community, if they can like successfully like unlock that for people. Mm -hmm. And it's just so funny. I feel like I see that like very tired insight in like every marketing deck of like, we've never been more connected, but more apart. And it's like, okay, yeah, sure. But like, what are you doing for that? <laughs> you know? I think it's as well, like bringing those right people around the table, right? Like when you say you've got a community, you don't need 15,000 people in there, 100,000 people in a quarter of a million. What you actually need is key stakeholders from each of those groups. And you just need, you just need 100 of them. That's it. They will be the ones who can tell your story to other people in a meaningful way. They're the ones that will have their own communities. Um, and I think on a whole, you know, we need those storytellers and we need those bridges more than they really need us, um, especially as more and more communities form. They all start to look really similar to each other. You know, what differentiates them? Why do you yeah. show up to one and not the other when there's the same people in both? And so I think um, we're in a really interesting stage of these Web3 communities anyway, where you see a lot of the same members uh, across all of them. And I think it'll be interesting to see as people kind of stretch bandwidth and have to invest their time as an opportunity cost in what are the, what are the um, big differentiators between these communities. Yeah. And what do you think is like how, you know, like what is like the early stage of a community versus like the growth stage versus like the mature like stage? Like how do do each of those kind of work and how do you, you know, keep people engaged through all of them? It's a great question. So I think um, one thing I remember one thing with Radar, I think, is often the people that are there at the beginning, they do have a natural intentional churn. Right, they're almost like the, you know, um, the, the the like starter dough of this community, and especially for Radar, it's like there was probably yeah 30, 40 members who were all super meaningful at the beginning. We did loads of good stuff. They've all now gone on to do incredible things and in Web three otherwise, and they don't really spend very much time in Radar. Yeah. But they set that foundation for many more to come in, and I think that's a very natural transition. I think another thing that's super important when you're building the beginnings of a community is don't try and fill it with folks who are all leading their own stuff. Because as all of, all of those things scale, um, people have less and less bandwidth for each other and that's completely normal. So I think in those early stages, like that, that's really key is just to acknowledge that transition that maybe the people that were there, you know, in the first few months to first six months um, probably won't be there when you hit that two year mark um, or maybe they will and they'll, they'll be in those leadership positions. But another thing that someone, you know, interesting, interestingly said to me the other day was that often within communities in web three, we choose to recruit from internally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's an opportunity someone in the community who's been there from the beginning, well, they should get it because they've been there from the beginning. But in reality, that's not always the case. And as um, more and more communities start to look a bit like startups, Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that, you know, there'll be more tension around that question of who gets rewarded within those transitions of scale. You know, the people that were there at the beginning that got the tokens, but then the person that comes in as the CTO essentially and has a massive salary, like who should have received that that role? Um, and so I think, yeah, that's that's a super interesting kind of growth transitionary question that communities will be facing. Um, for Radar, we, we do a few things. So we practice something called intentional churn, which I think is, you know, predominantly not done within um, Web3 communities, but is important to us and something that I'm very passionate about. And it's just mm-hmm. the idea that members that don't have bandwidth anymore for the time that, you know, they want to spend in Radar, that's absolutely fine. But instead of kind of like bloating the server with all of these ghost members, what you should actually do when building a community is like set this kind of minimal viable expectation to say, you know, we want an hour of your time a week, right? Like if you don't have an hour of your time a week to commit in some way, shape or form, and that could be impact, right? It doesn't have to be an hour of sitting at a computer. It could be 15 minutes worth of value that is one hour or two hours or three hours worth of impact to someone else. I think setting those kind of Mm -hmm. honest conversations at the beginning really encourages people to stick around and it also encourages other people to kind of have that little nod between them and go yeah well i yeah we're all we're all kind of given a little bit which together is a lot um i think as you scale that gets slightly harder to manage but you know radar's probably off-boarded about 25 people um there's not been anyone who has been annoyed with that concept everyone's been like oh my god of course like i think in summer i'm gonna have some more bandwidth i'd love to get involved like i'll drop you a message you know we'll see how many of those do come back but i think it's you know that they're the they're the conversations i think are really important because it gives you as a a community founder or instigator the opportunity to get that feedback on why that person is no longer as present as they were and sometimes you know, it's about bandwidth. Sometimes it's about navigating the amount of sheer content. Sometimes it's just that like life, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think um, that's just a really good constant health check of the the community as you scale and those members kind of come in, get excited, burn out or not burn out, sorry, their energy kind of like fizzles out and then maybe some more ones come in and it's the ones that kind of keep consistently there, which form your like core contributors. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you mentioned this idea of these like web three communities slowly becoming startups. Do you see a future where there's people that are in the space that, you know, just like there's early stage startup operators and they really specialize in that? Do you sort of see, you know, early stage, mid stage, like late stage community operators becoming kind of specialization that people pursue? 100%. I think in the future, um, you know, YC will have three recommendations for how you can launch a a startup. And one of them will be through building community, running it through a DAO, having liquid equity. Um, You know, I, I can perfectly see that vision as kind of like some legal fog clears a greater understanding of how we class these kind of, you know, behaviors and interactions at an early stage. And I think um, I don't see a future where that's, that would be surprising. I think, in fact, you know, it's going to be a preferable route for, for most, um, operators and Web3 kind of, uh, or any kind of CEOs who don't want to do it alone and, and do believe in, 
in going non-institutional ways or do do believe in like building with with uh with more user feedback more community feedback like i think this era of we're going to build it right till it's absolutely perfect and then we're going to launch it to you and just hope you love it with like you know a very mm-hmm. minimal amount of user testing from probably folks that aren't actually that incentivized to give you you know the best replies i think that you know hopefully will be coming to an end of and it may be replaced with with the, a newer model that looks a bit more like web3 communities and and DAOs yeah I think what's also interesting, I know you're fully in Web 3. I like to jokingly say I'm in Web 2.5, where like 60% of my work, 70% of it is like in traditional like social and brand and marketing. And the other sort of 30% is in helping those brands either thread the needle or like put Web 3 at the core of like one of their strategies, like I'm working on a beauty brand that's doing a big sort of like NFT utility community play. Um, What is it, you know, what do you sort of see for brands entering Web3? I think there's a lot of skepticism with what they're hearing about the crypto market. But as somebody that works in Web3, like what's the vibe? Are people excited about brands entering the space in any way? Is it like validating the idea? And three, like, what would your sort of advice be for the brands that are entering this space and doing these like boring Roblox activations? Right. Yeah. So, I, uh, yes. Okay. So, clients. I recently did a, a workshop with um, with a client who's explore. I think what a lot of people are in are in this phase where every department within the brand is having to now think about web3 and they're all doing it in these like individual segments of their business right they're like oh we could bring web3 in here and oh someone someone knows about web3 you know in that department we can, let's ask them about how we can launch this in nft right and i think what they're not doing yet enough of is thinking about it holistically as a mindset as a behavior shift and absolutely ignoring you know, the technology behind it because the reality is they're just tools, right? And these mm. tools are super important, but the tools will change and they already are. And like, you know, constantly seeing new forms of NFTs pop up or new ways that you can distribute value or new ways that you can track, you know, uh, resources and track kind of like physical garments, track data, track whatever. The, the reality is that really we should be looking at you know, what these behavior, what are these tools enabling from, you know, creators, makers, users of the product? And then what are those expectations going to be um, to shift into a new mode? So when we often do, you know, these presentations for brands and do run these workshops and lead into what we call community 3.0 projects, we're actually kind of just saying, you know, these technologies exist, here's how they work at a top level, but here's what they actually mean. You know, NFTs are about reputation and signaling and ownership of, of tribalism. You know, blockchains are actually about transparency and accountability. They're not about, you know, the 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 deep down kind of like, um, let oh, it's a ledger and money works like this and money's not a concept, blah, 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 blah. What it's really about is like, what do these things allow consumers to to want more from from their brands? Um, which, you know, stuff like blockchain is they're going to want more transparency. They're going to want to know where everything comes from, not mm-hmm. just what you tell them 
you know, is on a packet or what te- what you tell them is, you know, featured in your, your, your new product or where it was made. It's like, they're going to be able to want to see it, feel it, know exactly, you know, the warehouse it came from, all the journeys it took, whose hands it passed through. Um, and I think there is a future where, where that happens. Um, so, yeah, and I think uh, whether people are excited about it, I think what people aren't excited about, I think more on the side of um, Web2 backlash, to be honest. When I see a lot of it, I see people just, you know, cancelling this idea. We, you know, we've seen many brands kind of enter the space and get cancelled for either environmental um, criticism or just like bizarre kind of like, oh, you made an NFT, you know, I now don't want to use your product. I, don't, I can never really tell and you know may have seen even the recent article around friends of benefits and the festival and the comments are like super interesting because it reminds you the the awareness Mm -hmm. that people have and and their you know values that surround this this space which we all feel super positive about and like it's going in the right direction but then you know many people fear it's not so um yeah i think that's the kind of backlash that we're seeing mostly from uh from web Two and then in Web three, I think it's my thing is just like if you're not going to give ownership in these, it's just a marketing campaign. Basically, mm-hmm. that's all it is, right? Like if you're going to create a new community and you're going to get them in the Discord, you're going to tell them you're going to let them do things, and then you don't, and it's kind of like an emotional rug pull. Then we're back to square one, right? So I think there has to be some real commitment um, from these brands of the future to to uh, deliver on. You know some of some of those those uh, values that Web three has because what we always say is that that some you know a community will just build a competitor that does offer people ownership in 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 your products. Basically, they'll build a, a parallel brand that just is you know more interesting in some ways because it allows the user of that brand more ownership in what it looks like. And I think that is probably the biggest watch out that I have for like brands entering the space is like, if you don't do it thoughtful enough, or if you don't do it with enough authenticity, then you might find that it triggers someone else to build a competitor to you. And, you know, we've seen that in, in a lot of web three projects, like building OpenSea competitors and building like Uniswap mm-hmm. protocol competitors, like that mindset behavior that people in this space have will trickle into you know, those creators of the future who are desperately trying to get off platforms and, you know, and, and kind of um, feedback loops, which exploit them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Web3 stands to manifest a lot of what Web2 promised to creators when really like in Web2, we were all building on borrowed land and, you know, now the rent is due. And you got to dance on an Instagram reel once in a while to <laughs> stay relevant. So I think like Web3 has like a huge like possible unlock for so many different kinds of people and communities and, you know, even solving some of the problems around like, I think so many agencies are trying to like crack that collective model with like profit sharing, et cetera. And they have for years, but with the rise of some of these service DAOs, you know, the blockchain and all of that transparency enables that for them. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, we're definitely thinking of that in radar as we move to 
these commercial briefs and and how we choose to almost build like a, a decentralized network or a decentralized agency, although we're trying not to call it that. And you know how yeah. we build, allow partners and even competitor agencies to essentially work together um, with Radar on delivering some of these things, and then you know being able to split those profits in new interesting ways, being able to you know, bring new folks into into this space when it's often, you know, can be a bit um, exclusive or can be a bit kind of hierarchical is, is a really exciting opportunity, I think. So, yeah, I agree. The service styles are going to be um, really interesting to see how they play out for, for freelance folks, especially. Yeah. And also, I think we've talked a lot about the inception of Radar and around Radar. And obviously I'm in Radar, so I know a decent amount about the community, but I would love for you to just, you know, share about Radar with, you know, everyone listening. I think, you know, most folks that listen to this podcast are in like the art, design, futures and strategy space. I think it'd be really valuable for them to learn more. Great. Yeah. No, I, this is a hundred percent what I meant to do right at the beginning is cram this in really clumsily. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we've kind of let it evolve. Um so so yeah radar is a radar is a uh decentralized futures community of researchers, strategists, innovators, builders, uh DGENs, you know, curators um coming together essentially to explore, you know, what the world looks like today and, and hopefully, you know, where it's going tomorrow. And I say hopefully because we're working towards building this this futures engine of discovery, incubation, and then delivery. And we want to kind of reach these better futures, right? And so it's this idea of creating essentially uh, a, a futures flywheel and exploring how we discover things, you know, in culture through the community is set up through about 30 channels of um you know everything from aesthetics to music to um science to technology and ai and we use those channels as just like a base to share signals for things we're seeing and we share them in a thread format so that people can comment on them we have almost like a little a little forum in the in the community so, so all day long people are kind of sharing these signals and, and chatting about things but then really where we want to take those um, signals into is into these reports and into these kind of uh, deep dives and the one we're just currently doing is on a future in sync so it's this idea of as we all I think feel and know the world is just so out of sync with itself you know we're we're sync out of sync with each other um, and we're even out of sync with ourselves. And so this first kind of report that Radar is releasing is is exploring, one, what that is and what the drivers are behind it and kind of how we found ourselves here and what here looks like, but also how we navigate out of that, like how we, you know, find the, the loopholes to hopefully bring us more in sync. And that report, I think, is going to be, it's going to be published in a couple of weeks. Um, it was a 10-week process. It brought the whole community together, you know, 150-odd members. Um, we had a project team of, of uh, five people, all like industry leaders and mostly running their own futures agencies, kind of coming together to deliver on this. And then they were supported by about 20 uh, research contributors. So they're members of the community who stepped forward. 
um, to do primary research, to interview friends, family, the milkman. Um, we brought in a bunch of experts. And at the end of this report, we essentially frame a center of gravity. And that center of gravity is uh, a speculative world you know, in the far future, um, which would help us have escaped this uh, future out of sync. So this was, you know, this future we've imagined is a future in sync. And um, and in our sense, where we got to, and it was all community voted, was a kind of future beyond words that's playful, whimsical, and that brings in uh, a lot of the elements that I think people from the community wanted to see and what our research was kind of encouraging us down the route. And then what we're going to do is actually incubate those futures. So we're running a seven-day uh, future-thon which is uh, like a hackathon on steroids. Mm -hmm. And it's where we bring together hundreds of builders. We have two days of inspirational talks. We have two days of idea development where we're sharing ideas into like a massive pool, um, which is public and anyone can see. And I think this really came back from, you know, that thinking that was instilled in me that's just like ideas are cheap. You know, execution is what makes them happen. And if you don't mm -hmm. share ideas and you keep those ideas to yourself and you think, oh, they're so precious, they're so fragile, no one else can see them, they never happen. And so the idea of the future on is to kind of flip that that traditional hackathon model, which is like everyone against each other and you know, you know, it's either me or you. In this sense, you know, everyone's pitching ideas, hopefully some teams form. The community will vote on some of those ideas to go through, not basing it on the team, but basing it on the ideas. And then those, you know, 10 ideas that go through, the whole community can then divide into, you know, deliver on those. And then after another um, two days of deep building with the teams uh, supported by a radar mental team and a radar technical team, um, we'll have a demo day. Uh, three of those projects will be voted on by the community and all the participants to receive $5,000 funding each. They will then go and turn that idea that they've got in the form of a demo into something more. So that could be a pitch deck. It could be mm -hmm. uh, a, you know, a month worth of building this like little piece of software they've designed. It could be a fashion item that they've now gone and been able to buy all the material for and actually like, you know, get someone to build, or maybe they've rented a little studio space to create a piece of art. And at the end of, uh, at the end of that time, that, you know, five, five K kind of grant, um, will help them either explore whether they want to turn that into a public good and, and share it with the world or, um, or turn it into a piece of venture. Um, and for us, the reason that this is so important is that, you know, instead of radar taking equity in every one of these ideas that kind of goes out, you know, into the world, really, they should all be aligned behind this idea of creating a better future. Mm -hmm. So we just want to see them happen because that gets us closer to this future we've imagined. And um, I call it trend market fit. And I think this one of the reasons I'm I'm so kind of invested in, in Web3 because I think it re it's reached its kind of trend market fit for culture where we're ready for it. We under kind of understand the needs for it now. And I think a few years ago, it was, you know, it needed a little bit longer. And I think now it's kind of hit its... Hit, um, tipping point and i think for the ideas that radar incubates we want to be getting to that trend market fit where the report has shown us mm -hmm. that this future is hopefully very probable it's preferable because it's one we want um and we're going to go and launch products and solutions startups and ideas straight into that fictional world to ho hopefully flourish and, and thrive and, and bring us that better future
So yeah, that's like a synopsis of the community, kind of a bit what we do inside. Um, we're powered by a Signal token. So we have a governance token called Signal. It's what we use to um, make decisions collectively together. So we use it to vote. We also um, use it to show gratitude. So when someone creates value in the community, uh, we share the Signal to say like, I appreciate you, I see you. Um, and so people use it a lot for like, if someone's you know, help them with a piece of work or if someone dropped a link or a signal that then they ended up using in a report and, you know, and they wouldn't, wouldn't have found that or someone drops a source to a new podcast or a new article. Um, we use signals to kind of show that, that visible appreciation there where sometimes it would be quite hard to, uh, to show mm -hmm. that in other ways. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, you describing the way that radar works and brings things into the world kind of unlocks this like not so secret secret tension of these decentralized communities where like yes this is decentralized but it's also centralized in terms of like role or like output based squads or pods that are working against a goal and do you think that you know, that's the most effective way for some of these communities to actually like bring things into the world? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a level of responsibility. Like I, I think something that's quite unique about uh, Radar is still to this day, no one is paid. So there's no, there's no hires, there's no employees. Um, the, the reports were produced with a budget that, that we, we raised and we've distributed and the future on is, uh, you know, had a budget too to pay people for their time um but i think what's interesting about about radar and it will be interesting to see how it evolves is this idea of not having people show up to look busy not having people this as their full-time job in inverted commas and um and still trying to find ways to support people to be able to work on this so that it's not for for free and i think that's the biggest tension in all of these communities is being inclusive of people that can't work for free because it's not a reality. Like it's just not right for anyone. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, especially either, either whether you need the money or not to live, to eat, it's about how you value your time. And I think at the moment there's like a very um, thin tightrope of, of pro projects which are like extractive because they just want you to do shit for free. Or there's this kind of balance of, you know, we're all in it together. We're, building something really meaningful and this signal token is our ownership over that meaningful thing to to make it a reality so squads i think is super important i think i try and build squads or instigate squads of like three to four um i think often we do in radar we do a lot of like big community work so we'll have like 20 even though we've only got 150 members we normally have 20 to 30 people show up for our sessions which are always mm -hmm. awesome or it's always awesome that people care enough to, to show up i think that's you know eternally grateful for that and so we do these big sessions where there's lots of energy people come in they bundle in lots of stickies lots of post-it notes we built out all of our strategy through that we built out our futures report we built out our future thon you know we designed seven days worth of an event based on 15 16 members that that came along consistently over a few weeks um and i think then what you do is you know you you bring people from that group into a smaller group to deliver on this. And I think as you scale, you just need to be 
conscious of two things. One, that you're always giving visibility back to the wider community. So if there are squads that start to form, there's a, just a playback loop to say, this is what they're doing. This is how they're creating value. Like this is mm-hmm. where they're getting compensated and why they're getting compensated. And then the the other thing I think is like to have some kind of rotational um, view of, of leadership. Um, and that's something we're really thinking about in Radar a lot is like as leaders emerge, which they are, and people are dedicating huge amounts of energy and time uh, to this fully under, you know, what their value is is worth. And so it's how we reward those those folks uh, to keep building something meaningful, um, how they become more, you know, part of the community. And then when it's time to for someone else to emerge and step into that role, that they're actually responsible for facilitating that. And I think that's why I, I choose to call um, the leaders in radar instigators because they should be instigating many other leaders to to, to kind of step forward um, and be involved and, and create value. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of look at a squad level. I think you know you have instigators who have this long term vision uh, are driving the community forward, and then among there among around them you might have three or four squads made up of three or four different people. And sometimes those people overlap or predominantly you want to try and keep people kind of working in squads with each other, but not overlapping in a bunch of different squads because otherwise, you know, you stretch bandwidth too much and and that's really important for, for communities. Yeah. And I think also that, you know, touches on the, you know, secret that while everyone is sort of, jumping into communities and volunteering ultimately like people are joining communities for like really like three things like some sort of sense of ownership and contribution for community and maybe even compensation and I feel like we don't really talk enough in you know web three at least from what I've seen about like that actual driver of like what makes someone want to be a contributor is it that like dissatisfaction that like you and I have had in like traditional consulting work? Is it, you know, just exploring something new? Is it feeling isolated by like, you know, the environment around them? Like, what is that like one thing that makes it rewarding for someone to like jump in a discord and catch up and spend a few hours and, you know, even work without compensation? Yeah. I mean, that would be like the holy, holy grail. I think, I think it does change for everyone, right? Like I think some people want to find that belonging. Other people are looking for new opportunities that they don't have or didn't have in traditional sense. Um, what I love, what I love about Web3 actually is a quote right at the beginning when I was in that was like, you go from in Web2, like having teams that you run and people coming to you for answers and, um, you know, and and having to do like all these very important pitch decks to making emojis and saying mm-hmm. welcome to people. And there's a little bit of a shift that just happens where you, you know, you can still do all of these really high value things, but you're kind of reminded a bit in your humanity of going, oh, I'm just going to welcome this person in to this space and, you know, and, and see how they are and let them know if they need any help, you know, they can message me. I think that's a a very nuanced um, reason for why I think people that are used to delivering at a really, really high level are 
still so open to jumping in and and kind of getting into it and creating value in these new ways. Yeah. I mean, it really moves from like, I'm the boss and I have an open door policy to like, I'm the boss emoji. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the leader of this community. Let me know, like, if Discord is scary, I'll let you know how to navigate it. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, or just like, or like, you know, something that I'm notoriously known for is just like dropping into DMs and being like, just a reminder, we've got a session, an hour. It's like, imagine just like rolling around to everyone, like knocking on doors and being like, hey, by the way, guys, just let you know, we've got. you wouldn't, you just send an email blast or you wouldn't even like, say anything people just expected to show up because it's their job and they're you're required like, to be there you're right like they're required to be at a boarding school you're like popping into the dormitory and being like hey we have mass in an hour like, yeah like on. no one <laughs> right like no one's required this is why i love about web3 at the moment and i think we are in this privileged position where it's still relatively um small and people are still really figuring it out as we as we do reach this critical mass but i think like you know, everyone's just exploring, everyone's learning, there's a lot of generosity. Um, and there is a big vibe shift amongst, you know, high level operators of like how they're going to scale their time, you know, how they can become instigators rather than delivering on everything, rather than mm-hmm. taking on all that responsibility and all that anxiety to deliver every aspect of what they do is like, okay, how do I actually meaningfully give over some of this, give over some of this trust, give over some of this um you know, responsibility. And yeah, for me, it's definitely an 80-20 rule. It's either I'll do 20% of the work and then offer the community to do the other 80%, maybe amongst a few people, or I'll do 80% of the work and take someone else on that journey for 20%. And even though I've done a lot of it, it's still bringing someone on, not just asking like, hey, what do you think? It's like, hey, do you want to help me finish on this or deliver this or challenge this or do this section right in the middle. And I think that's really important for like how we choose to to lead and instigate. And I don't think that that's something you see all the time in, in a, in web two agency world. Yeah. Sort of jumping a bit. What is, what is something that you're really optimistic about in the Web3 space and something that you're kind of like, we could do with way less of this? Oh, such a good question. Um, for selfish reasons, I'm excited about all things regen. I'm excited about all things DSI. I am excited about, um, I think that, I think there needs to be more, conversations around like how we actually imagine these mod business models beyond token because mm-hmm. you know radar's really lucky super privileged position where we have a lot of business models right we have revenue streams from a consultancy point of view from a you know of an nft sales point of view to fund a season of exploration we have lots of routes in to make cool shit happen i think on a whole what i'm optimistic about seeing is more And I think this will happen as more Web 2 people move into Web 3. I think it's not happened because a lot of Web 3 folks were like, token is business model. Like token is the the thing. Mm -hmm. Like value value just goes up, right? Or it goes down, but it doesn't need to have anything more sustaining about that. What I'm really optimistic about is like, what are the next wave of sustainable models for communities to bring revenue in? And how do they do that? Like we said earlier with, you know, fairer, more transparent distribution, 
Um, I'm excited for for that conversation. Um, what do we need less of? Um, I mean, you just see all of it over over crypto Twitter, but I feel like it's part of the culture, and I feel like it's what actually pushes people into the you know squads and groups and arms of other communities. And so I think a lot of that toxic culture that we see, which we see everywhere, whether we see it in social media, where we see an influence culture, whether we see it in music, where, wherever we see it, like it happens. I think in, in Web3, it's got an interesting tie to money. And I think um, what I'm not looking forward to is more and more young creators tokenizing themselves um, as ways to scale their impact. And I feel like it's going to be a very interesting um, future where we have a lot of our, you know, visualized value tied to our um, social behavior, you know, in terms of stocks and shares. And mm -hmm. I, I just was earlier looking at the YC startup pitches. I think it was like 320 of them and a bunch of them, like a ton of them. The main premise was like, um, tokenization of celebrities, uh, influencers, and athletes, and I think that's a world which, hopefully, I think we we try and steer clear of. Yeah, one hundred percent. I guess to finish out our conversation, what is a word of advice you have to somebody on how to really get started in Web three if they're curious? Oh, I love it. So the best. Uh, this is the, the, I've tried to think about this many times because people are always like, where should I start? And I'm like, for me, it's jumping into a discord, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, like jumping into as many as you can and introducing yourself in the introductions channel. And very quickly you will find, you know, if you share enough about yourself, which is like beyond like, Hey, my name's fancy and here's my Twitter. If you go into like what you care about, you know, who, what you think is important in the world and like what you're building or what you want to be building, even better, what you want to be building, people will gravitate towards you um, that possibly, you know, share those visions and share those cares. And so I think that's a, a really a good place to start. And then I think, um, yeah, obviously, you know, start reading. There's, the more you read, the, the more immersed you are in the culture. I think stay away from numbers, stay away from uh, charts and and get into the kind of reading of of the builders who are who are hopefully trying to make this space not repeat the what we saw in uh, Web two social and big social and big data. Yeah, amazing! Thank you so much for doing this. I'm really really excited to drop this one. No, it was so fun, and thank you for the questions. They were great, and I think um, you know anyone that that wants to get involved in, in Web3, uh, quick plug for Radar, is a great place to start. You know, a lot of um, Web2 folks come in through Radar and even our research lead, um, Kiels, I think three or four months ago, had never ever heard of, of well, had never meaningfully stepped into Web3 and, and now is absolutely pioneering completely the whole research arm of, of Radar. So I think, you know, it's all about finding a space which welcomes you. Um, and we're definitely up for doing that in Radar. So please come along. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Radar was definitely like my matrix pill into Web3 too. <laughs> so I can definitely endorse that one. Awesome. <laughs>
Um, when does the report come out? Because I'm actually planning to post this one, like, uh, uh, what is it, October 14th? Oh, great. Okay, this is perfect. So the report comes out on the 21st of September, and the future thon will run on the 17th of October to the 24th. Oh, amazing. So October 14th is like kind of perfect to drop this. Yeah, it's right in the middle. It's like, you're going to see, so I, we can dub me back in saying all more clever things about what came out of the report and then we'll be fine, right? Yeah, if you want, um, you can like send me a voice recording and I can have um, the editor like add it in as like an update or something. <laughs> Love that little caveat at the end. Okay, yeah. cool. Thank you so much for this. It's been super fun. And um, yeah, have a great day. You too. I'm excited to like one day jump back <laughs> into radar. I know well, it's coming yeah. soon. No, no, exactly. Don't. It's all about bandwidth. So yeah. I appreciate everyone's busy. So we'll see you when we see you. Yeah. All righty. Have a good rest of your day. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode. To keep up with me and the podcast, You can follow me on at Nikita on the internet, on Instagram, or keep up with Blank's work at www.workwithblank.com. More next time.